right, awesome. If you have Bibles with you today, please open up uh, to Matthew chapter 9, uh, verses 35 to 38. Uh, last week, um, I began a new series of messages uh, on, on the topic of healing. Really, you know, why am I doing that? Well, I felt led to go, by the Holy Spirit, just felt led to go in that direction. Um, I was at home and seeking God, what do you want me to do? And frankly, I was coming up with a blank. And, and uh, when that happens, after all these years, I've learned that what I need to do is ask Nadine to pray for me. <laughs> and she lays hands on me and poof, something comes. And that happened again this time. And so... So she prayed, and I really felt like I was taking us in direction. I believe that healing is our spiritual birthright. Uh, Jesus refers to healing as the children's bread in Matthew 15. For us as a vineyard church, it's part of our spiritual DNA. And, and, and beyond all that, it's a very practical way for us to uh, learn how to hear God and then take some action of faith based on what we hear. It's a, it's a wonderful way for us as individuals to practice hearing from God from ourselves and then, and then taking a step of faith based on, on what God has told us to do. And finally, you know, why do healing? Because anytime somebody gets healed, it's so stinking awesome. <laughs> if you've ever prayed for somebody and actually seen them get healed, it's awesome. I mean, I've prayed for thousands of people in my life. I've not seen thousands of people healed, but I have seen some healed. And every time, every one that got healed, it was so worth it for all the ones who didn't, you know? I mean, let's say, hypothetically, and I'm not saying this is the statistics, but what if you prayed for a hundred people and only one got healed out of a hundred? I'm thinking it's worth it for that one, right? What's, you ever hear the old story of the, the girl who's on the beach and a bunch of starfish have swam up to, you know, have been uh, left on, on, on the beach, and, and she just grabbing a starfish and throwing them into the ocean one at a time. And, and some, some older man comes walking by and says, so what are you doing? She's like, I'm just throwing starfish back into the ocean. And he's like, what difference does it make? There are thousands, millions of them here on the shore. She picks up another starfish, throws it into the ocean, says, it was worth it to that one, <laughs> right? And so sometimes, at least in the beginning stages of learning how to pray for the sick, I'm thinking, all right, it's worth it to that one. If one person gets healed. And so I think as we begin to explore this and experiment with it and try, we're going to just set the ball really low, right? And let's see if we can get one out of 100. And then after we get one out of 100, let's see if we can get two out of 100, right? And we'll pray for another couple of thousand people and see if we can kick it up to four out of 100. What do you say? I think that's worth it. How about you? you got to learn somehow. And every once in a while, I think there'll be a breakthrough. And then, boom, it, it'll happen more and more and more. But if we go into this expecting, well, it's got to be perfect, then you'll probably be disappointed and quit. And I don't want that. I'd rather us set realistic expectations and better if we beat them. Right? Doesn't sound like a good plan? Anyway, that's the way I'm thinking about it. So last week in, in the first message on the topic of healing, I laid some foundational uh, observations that first off that healing was a part of Jesus' ministry from the very beginning that there's definitely a connection between the kingdom of God and healing uh, that Jesus did more than just talk to talk he, he walked to talk there was the, the proclamation of the kingdom repent for the kingdom of God is at hand was his preaching and then he demonstrated the kingdom 
because after he preached the kingdom, he went and healed the sick. So there's a proclamation and a demonstration. So why do I want to look at healing? I want, I want to live a supernatural life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And my, my hope is this. I feel like my calling is this. I have a burden, a mandate for this, is to help my brothers and sisters live supernatural lives in the power of the Holy Spirit as well. I really felt like that's what God had, had put on my heart many years ago. I certainly felt like that was my call in coming here to Prince Edward Island. I want to prepare people, help prepare people to live by the Spirit. And how do I want to look at, at healing? Well, I'd like to look at some of Jesus. What did Jesus do? How did he do it? Let's look at some of his healing encounters in the Gospels. And then go from there. Let's see how Jesus healed the sick and see what we can glean from it. So today in Healing 2, what I really want to talk about is the kingdom of God. I told you last week how the kingdom and healing were intrinsically linked. And as I prepared this week, I realized it would be kind of difficult for me to go forward without taking time, most of one message, to explain what the kingdom of God is. And, um, and so I want to do that. I want to continue to lay a solid biblical and theological foundation for healing. Um, and so as I was preparing, I realized I really can't hold off on this. I really felt it was necessary uh, instead of leaving it for another time. So I'll speak about the kingdom today. What I want to talk about is the kingdom of God and healing. I want to show you four different theological interpretations of the kingdom of God. A political kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, a future kingdom, a present kingdom. I'll, I'll go through it quickly. <laughs> Um, I give you some biblical evidence, and then I want to um, I want to share with you where I stand on it, um, how I see it, a, a very vineyard uh, perspective. And then after that, we'll finish up with practice. We're going to take some time again today at the end of the message to get some words of knowledge from the Lord, and then pray for those people who we get the words for, just like we did last week. So for those of you who are accustomed to listening to the Lord, you can even begin now, Lord. Give me words of knowledge for people who need healing. And then we'll give, we'll give you a chance at the end of my message to share those words of knowledge, and then we'll pray for, for those people. Um, I drew upon a bunch of different resources to prepare this message, and just like to give credit where credit's due. Uh, resources that were very helpful with Baker's Theological Dictionary of the Bible. Uh, some, old, some old vineyard resources that I've just collected over the years. One is... Power Evangelism, written by John Wimber. And another is a, is a syllabus uh, uh, from a healing seminar, volume one, that the Vineyard put out, I don't know, 30 years ago, maybe 35 years ago. But you know what? Truth is still truth. But let's begin with Scripture. If you're in Matthew chapter 9, let me read for you verses 35 and 38 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Do you get that? He taught about the kingdom. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. Right? That's the proclamation. And healing every disease and sickness. That's the demonstration. There was the proclamation of the kingdom followed by the demonstration of the kingdom. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the, his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, 
but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, let us, let the people sitting in this very room, right here, right now, today, let us be the answer to those biblical prayers. Equip us, Lord, empower us, and then send us out into the harvest field. Lord, I ask that you would use us as people who, just like you, Jesus, proclaim the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and then demonstrated the good news of the kingdom by seeing the sick healed, and the dead raised, and the demon I set free. Amen? Amen. Amen. So this morning, I mean, most Sunday mornings, I just kind of share from my heart. It probably falls more into the category of preaching than teaching, but I'm going to be wearing more of a teaching hat today, and it's probably going to be a bit more theological in nature than I typically offer to you. Um, so you might want to take some notes. So the kingdom of God and healing. The kingdom of God is intrinsically linked to healing. The heart of Jesus' message centered around the theme of the kingdom of God. For example, the expression, the kingdom of God, is found in 61 separate sayings in the Synoptic Gospels. Counting parallel passages, the expression occurs over 85 times. It also occurs twice in John's Gospel. John chapter 3, verses 3, and then again in verse 5. That's a lot of mentions of the term, the kingdom of God. It's, it's worthy of our attention. The phrase, the kingdom of God, is found in such key places in Scripture as the preaching of John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 2, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus' earliest announcement, his earliest preaching, when he says in Mark 1, Matthew 4, and Luke 4, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The prayer Jesus taught his disciples says, Your kingdom come. Your will be done from Matthew 6. And then again in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verses 3 and 10. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then finally at the Last Supper, where Jesus says, I will not drink again the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And that's from Mark 14. And it's in many other uh, of Jesus' parables. You can find in Matthew 13, Luke 4, and Luke 19. Jesus connected the two. He connected healing and the kingdom. First, by proclaiming the kingdom in his preaching. And second, as I said, by demonstrating the kingdom with signs and wonders. He did it namely by healing the sick, casting out demons, and even raising the dead. Just as we read from Matthew chapter 9. So I offered you a definition from the kingdom last week. A simplified version of it might be the sphere or the realm of a king's influence and authority. What's a kingdom? It's where the king has influence. It's where the king has authority. A better definition, and this is from John Wimber, is that the kingdom of God is that the dynamic reign of God, the assertion of God's authority over the evil one and his deeds. Again, that's by John Wimber. So I'd like to lay a foundation, a foundational understanding of the kingdom of God. I want to paint with a wide brush today, as it were. And so with that in mind, my encouragement to you is do some deeper study on your own. Go to any website like um, Bible Gateway or Blue Letter Bible. Just type in the phrase, the kingdom of God, 
and begin your, your own research. I'm sure you'll find some fascinating things. Now, despite how central this expression and how often it's raised in the New Testament, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, um, it was central to Jesus' teaching. There's been great debate over the years over to what exactly this term, the kingdom of God, means. And so I think we need a foundational understanding of the kingdom as we begin to explore uh, healing. So like I said, there are four classic theological interpretations of the kingdom of God. And I want to present each one of them to you from the perspective of those who hold to it. I, I don't hold to any one of these four exclusively. But I'll present it from their perspective. And then I'll share my own perspective at the end. And so four of them. There's a political kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, a future kingdom, a present kingdom. The first one, a political kingdom. Some people over the years have held to the concept of the kingdom of God is a political kingdom. According to this view, Jesus sought to establish a, a kingdom like David's kingdom, a Davidic-like kingdom in Jerusalem, that the kingdom was political in nature and sought to free Israel from Roman oppression, that Jesus was a political revolutionary who sought to arm his disciples, and they, they get that from Luke 22, Entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as a king, Mark chapter 11. Challenged the political establishment by cleansing the temple, also in Mark 11. Urged the people to rebel and not pay their taxes, in my estimation a clear misinterpretation of Mark chapter 12. Enlisting zealots as disciples, Mark 3. Used the taking up of the cross, which was a symbol of zealot sacrifice, to enlist his disciples from Mark 8. Was crucified as a political rebel in Mark 15. And was crucified between two other rebels also in Mark 15. Frankly, this interpretation has found very few supporters uh, over the years. But... Much to my surprise, it does pop up every so often. For those who have any, for those who really have a, a problem with the spiritual realm, for people who reject the supernatural uh, and see um, the miracles as described in Scripture as as stories as opposed to historical fact, um, it's easier for them to take hold of Jesus as a natural uh, political figure in his day than to see him truly as the Savior or the Messiah who came in, in a supernatural manner. To, they have a hard time seeing him literally as the Word become flesh and dwelling among us. So there are some people who hold to that every so often. Again, I think um, it has very few uh, supporters. And, and from my perspective, in my opinion, it's an impossible viewpoint to... To support the evidence against it's overwhelming, and here's why: the presence of a tax collector, Matthew, among the disciples is impossible to explain. If Jesus was a revolutionary, they hated the tax collectors. They were collaborators with Rome and truly despised by by zealots. Um, and the following teachers don't teachings do not support a political interpretation. Blessed are the peacemakers from the Beatitudes in Matthew 9, 5. If someone 
Uh, a Roman soldier forces you to go one mile, go with them two. That doesn't support a political concept, but that's what Jesus taught out of Matthew 5. And love your enemies. That's certainly hard to hold if he's coming as a, a rebel to overthrow Roman. Love your enemies from Matthew chapter 5. Or All who draw the sword will die by the sword, Jesus said in Matthew 26. And he said, correctly in Mark chapter 12, give to Caesars what is Caesars. So any honest study of these verses simply do not permit an interpretation of the kingdom of God as a political kingdom. So that's the first one. The second is that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, sometimes referred to as a liberal kingdom or a spiritual kingdom. So during the height of theological liberalism, the kingdom of God was understood as God's rule in the human heart only that it was exclusively a personal and internal kingdom, spiritual kingdom, to the individual. A favorite supporting passage is Luke 17, verses 20 to 21, uh, which says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with the observation, with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So that's their main text. That's their proof text that it's a spiritual kingdom only and it's a kingdom that's inside of you. But any eschatological, future or end times thought of an actual kingdom associated with the expression was seen as well from their perspective primitive and rather unrefined. The kingdom was interpreted as being purely symbolic, just symbolic terminology for the inner rule of God in the heart of a man or a woman. The kingdom of God was God's spiritual reign only in the life of a believer and that it resulted in an inner moral ethic, that the whole perspective, the whole purpose for this was that there would be a, a uh, inner morality uh, an ethic that would rise to the occasion because you had this inner spiritual kingdom. And the ethic focused on Jesus' teaching concerning the universal fatherhood of God, the infinite value of the human soul, and the, and the command to love. Not a bad list, but incomplete. It falls short. Liberal theology was and is built upon, in my opinion, a faulty foundation. A belief that in the continual evolutionary uh, progress, it believes in the continual ever in the continual evolutionary progress of humanity and the ultimate goodness of man. Have you lived? <laughs> Have you engaged with other human beings? This is not this is not the world we live in. Um, if we need greater evidence that this is faulty, well. The advent of World War I dealt it a mighty blow, and certainly no, no help came along with the advent of World War II. We just saw that. And every other war that followed after it just, just chips away at, at this faulty theology. Now this, along with the rediscovery of end-time teachings concerning uh, Jesus, it really brought about the demise of this interpretation of the kingdom of God. Namely, that the kingdom of God is eternal and spiritual only. You simply cannot eliminate the future aspects of what Jesus had to teach 
the end times, the eschatological aspects of Jesus' teaching and, and, uh, and expect it to be full or accurate. The biblical evidence simply will, will not permit it. So that's the second, spiritual. We looked at political kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. The third is what they call a consistent or a future kingdom. So at the turn of the 19th century, the eschatological, the future end times dimension of Jesus' teaching, basically was rediscovered. It became evident that Jesus really wasn't a 19th century liberal. He really was a first century Jew. A Jew who must have thought to a great extent, like most first century Jews thought. So, so say the people holding a future-only, a future-only perspective of the kingdom of God. You guys hanging in there? There's a little bit heady stuff today, but hang in there. I'll get through the four perspectives in another minute. So since the kingdom of God was seen by most Jews in Jesus' day as a future supernatural kingdom, one that would... Uh, bring history to a close, it's logical to assume that Jesus thought the same way. With this mindset, and I'm not saying I buy into it, but this is their perspective. Jesus is saying concerning the kingdom of God would have been understood by his audience as referring to a future kingdom. And since Jesus made no radical attempt to correct their thinking, we must understand his teaching on the kingdom of God as purely eschatological or future. Now, according to this view, Jesus taught that the kingdom of God, which would bring history to its end, was future. Future, yes, but not distant future. In fact, from this perspective, it's a future that's very near. It had not arrived yet, but it could appear at any moment. And now for many of us, many especially who are raised in, in Pentecostal churches, this, this was a given. This was a default position. We were, waiting, we were waiting for the rapture at any moment, right? And we'd live our lives waiting for the rapture to, to appear. That soon the Son of Man would come, the final judgment would take place, and world history would know its end. And what we were to do in the meantime was basically behave, right? Anybody old enough to remember those really cheesy and terrifying videos called like A Distant Thunder? We have one. There were the, back in like the 80s or maybe even back to the 70s, there was a series of three or four videos based upon uh, the, the eminent rapture of the believers. And they were, they were literally designed to scare the hell out of you <laughs> or, or to somehow scare you into heaven. And, and so with that mindset that Jesus could come in any second, we just need to make sure we kept behaving because we didn't want to be left behind, right? That's a whole other. I'm going to call that today. So what do we have to do in the meantime? We had to behave. That means avoid divorce, refrain from marriage, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, don't retaliate, uh, give to whoever was in need. And my problem with this is, is mul you know, so many different ways, but it fuels the concept big time of a performance-based Christianity. You just need to perform better. You know, basically the, the, the thought behind this was, was a mixture of sin management and fire insurance, right? Just, we had a sword in one hand and a suitcase in the other because Jesus is coming back in any second. So our whole perspective, how we live life is just manage your sin better, right? So it's all performance-based. It's horrible. It's just, 
it's been crushing to the, to the true message of the, of the gospel. And so, so, though it's clear that this interpretation takes seriously the future dimension of Jesus' sayings concerning the kingdom of God, however, it completely ignores any kind of sayings found in the gospel that announces that the kingdom had already come. So those arriving, those verses involving the arrival of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God was at hand, they were ignored. They were seen as inauthentic or seen as the later creation of the church by advocates of, of that perspective, that viewpoint. Okay, so so far we've looked at a political, a spiritual, and a future. The fourth classical interpretation of the kingdom is the realized, or what some would call the present view of the kingdom. So in, in the third view, the future-only view, that pretty much arose out of Germany as an opposing view to England, the, the present kingdom. England and Germany, ever at odds theologically against one another. So according to this view, this fourth one, the present kingdom, Jesus announced the coming of the awaited kingdom. However, he did, did not announce that it was coming in the near future, but rather he announced that it had already arrived. In Jesus' ministry, the kingdom of God had already come. There was no need to look for something in the future. The Son of Man had come and brought with him the kingdom, that nothing is still to come. In its entirety, the kingdom of God was realized in the coming of Jesus, this point of view, this present kingdom perspective, like the future view of the kingdom, has the benefit of taking seriously some biblical data. Not all of it, but some of it. There's no doubt that in the Gospels, Jesus announced that the kingdom has come. They do not announce that it is near. They announce that it is here. But there are contradictions. It is evidence that these two views, unless modified, contradict one another. The future only view or the present only view of the kingdom, they contradict each other. Yet both have convincing biblical evidence to support their views. So like the holders of the future view of the kingdom, the holders of the present kingdom view tend to see biblical data that contradicts their preferred perspective as being somehow inauthentic. So what's the biblical evidence to this? There's, there is biblical evidence to, to support both future and present views of the kingdom of God. So for the future view of the kingdom, we have scriptures like in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, that the kingdom, the kingdom as the result it must be future. If he's saying your kingdom come, if that's the prayer, your kingdom come, apparently we're asking for something that's not yet here, it's still future. Matthew 7, Jesus saying, not everyone who says to me will enter the kingdom. This must refer to a future event because he continues to say that many will say to me on that day. Right? This is language that speaks to the future. At the Last Supper, Jesus looks forward to the day when I, Jesus, will drink it anew 
in the kingdom of God. Again, this is language that speaks to the future. Other passages associated with the coming of the kingdom in the future and with the final judgment, you can find in Matthew 5, Matthew 8, Matthew 12, and Luke 13. You can look those up on your own. It is undeniable that there are many verses indicating that Jesus understood the kingdom of God to still be a future event. But there are other texts that speak to the present. Let me bring some of those to your attention. In other passages, it's equally clear that the kingdom of God is a, has already arrived. It's already present. So Jesus said, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of heaven has come, past tense, to you. Luke 11, Matthew 12. In four other New Testament verses, the verb has come is used. It clearly means that it has arrived or is now present. And those verses are Romans 9, 2 Corinthians 10, Philippians 3, 1 Thessalonians 2. Jesus speaks about the old and the new. Jesus declared that his coming marked the end of the old era. He said the law and the prophets, this is in Luke 16, the law and prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. Two distinct periods of history are distinguished by Jesus here. The former is referred to as the period of the law and the prophets, and the second is the period of the kingdom of God. That John the Baptist is the bridge between those two periods of time. That he brings the old to its conclusion and announces the breaking in of the new. And this new thing, according to Jesus, is the kingdom of God. And it cannot be mixed. You cannot put new wine into an old wineskin, right? From, from Mark's gospel. Let's see. Let me move ahead. So, so how do we deal with these apparent contradictions? Right? How do we, let's say if we only look at two of them. Let's say, do we want to hold to the future view of the kingdom or the present view of the kingdom? Should we just take a vote? How many want this one? How many want that one? Well, what good would that do? Because then we have to ignore a whole bunch of other scriptures, right? That's basically what theologians have done over time. Well, I'm in this camp or I'm in that camp. I think, that's a, I think it's a poor way to approach the understanding of the kingdom. It doesn't work. It's what the Germans and the English did, and it didn't work for them. So what if we agreed to look at the kingdom of God based upon the definition I offered from the beginning, the rule and the reign of God? <clears throat> Not theological territory. What if we better understood the term, the kingdom of God, if we think, it at, think of it as the rule of God or the reign of God? Jesus' view of the kingdom as the rule of God is clear in Matthew 6.33 where he says, Seek first the kingdom of God. Or in Mark 10 where he says, Receive the kingdom like a little child. Understanding the kingdom as the reign of God makes it possible for us to see that Jesus announced it, that it was the fulfillment of the old promises of the reign of God that they had arrived. Okay, so how do I see it? I've given you the four perspectives. That There, there are some who, who looked at it as a political kingdom only, a spiritual kingdom only, a future kingdom only, a, a present kingdom only. How do I see it? I see it differently. I see it from the perspective that John Wimber taught some 30, 
35 years ago. It's a very vineyard perspective. And it's this, that the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. It's both future and present and spiritual. That the kingdom of God is realized and present in one sense and yet consistent and future in another with a very spiritual, supernatural dynamic throughout. I don't think that this is a contradiction of Scripture. I think it simply takes the whole of Scripture. That the kingdom of God is not political. It's not internal, spiritual only. It's not future only. It's not present only. It is present, future, and spirit all at the same time. <clears throat> the New Testament's written from the point of view of overlapping ages, the now and the not yet. This approach will help us to have a correct understanding. I believe it will help us. This now and not yet understanding of the kingdom will ha help us have a correct understanding of healing. Our situation, to use a historical example, is similar to that of the underground army still living in land occupied by a, de by a de defeated en enemy, much like, um, much like the French underground after D-Day during the Second World War. Though the Germans' eventual defeat was certain, the Germans were still quite capable of committing horrible atrocities against French civilians. When the Allied forces took the beach at Normandy on D-Day, June 6, 1944, Hitler's defeat was all but assured. However, it wasn't until VE Day, May 8, 1945, almost a full year later, that the victory was actually celebrated. So you and I, using that example, that historical example, we essentially live between D-Day and VE Day. We live between the cross, actually we live between the resurrection and the second coming, right? The enemy's defeat is all, is all but assured. It's, it, he's been defeated on the cross, held death in the grave, was overcome with the resurrection. But we live between that time and the second coming, which will bring us the fullness of the kingdom. And so in the in-between time, we still have much work to do. And so I wonder if our living in the now but not yet might explain why we still have struggles in the process of learning how to and to have effectiveness in healing the sick. We live in the now and the not yet. Our enemy is, his defeat is assured, but don't, we all know. Did you wake up this morning? Did you watch the news? Just, have you walked through town? There's evil in our world, right? All of us have, we fight a battle against an enemy who's defeated, but he's not entirely powerless. And so sometimes we pray for the sick, and they don't get healed, and we wonder why. And this, I took all that time to explain it, just to make this one point. Because we live in the now, but not yet. And sometimes we are fighting for the forces of good, and there's pushback from the, from the enemy. Is there anyone in this room who has never experienced spiritual darkness pushing back against you as you try to advance in your spiritual journey. Man, I've been doing this for 40 years. I experience that pushback all the time. If the enemy was completely defeated and entirely powerless, there would be no pushback. 
Well, it might help us not beat ourselves up or feel like we're a failure if we pray for somebody and they don't get healed. Could it be but that we're living in this in-between place, the now and the not yet? We're in that time between the resurrection and the second coming. And in that time, our call, our mission is to occupy until he comes. And this is what we try to do. But we don't do it in the absence of an enemy. We do it in the present. The presence of an enemy. Now, believe me, I, I fully adhere to the belief, to the truth that says, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But there is a he that's in the world. And the greater that's in me needs to stand up against what's in the world. And trust me, when we begin to take steps toward actually practically practicing healing the sick, we're going to experience that clash. John Wimber used to call that power encounters. There will, there will be clashes of one kingdom against the other kingdom. Because though the enemy is defeated, um, the war is not over. Does that make sense? So, I believe in a spiritual kingdom that is both present and future, in the now and not yet. I do believe absolutely that the that the kingdom of God is within us, in the indwelling Christ who has taken up residence in each of our hearts, and that that reality gives us vastly more spiritual authority and power than we could ever possibly imagine. But I like to, believing all that, I want to be practical, and I want to give you what I think is wise and helpful uh, information, that when you begin to pray for the sick, and I want you all to do it, don't be devastated if it doesn't work sometimes. There might be something grander and on a greater scale than just you that's going on. Right? Because this is my heart for healing. I'd like us to practice healing the sick here. Why? Because people getting better is so incredibly cool. That's awesome. I think Jesus heals the sick because he loves them and wants to see them better. And it's really fun and exciting to be a part of what he's doing. Now, what I don't want is this be something that we just do on Sunday mornings. I want this to be the, I want this to be, you know, the place where you work out and practice. And then what I'd like to see happen, well, I, my heart cries, is that it just becomes a normal part of your life. And so you're at Starbucks and you're having coffee with a friend, and they tell you, "Wow, my elbow really hurts." And then, and then in some, you know, without being a jerk, without being a stupid Christian, you could find some inoffensive way to say to them, "Hey." Wow, I'm sorry, your elbow hurts, can I pray for you? And that you pray for them, again, without being a jerk, <laughs> and they actually get healed. Wouldn't that be cool? Right? And they get so excited they got healed, they tell one of their friends, and when their friend has need, they come and say, hey, could you pray for my friend too? How do I know it works like that? Because I've spent years interpreting dreams. You know what happens when I interpret somebody's dream, and it's truly an accurate, God-inspired dream interpretation? Their head explodes. They couldn't be any happier, right? I'm going to hear every dream they've ever had after that. And if a friend of theirs has a dream, they say, oh, I got this friend of mine, Tom, you should send him a message. And that happens all the time. Barely a day goes by where I don't get a message from somebody saying, hey, Tom, I had this dream. What do you think it means? Right? So I've learned that that's an effective process. Imagine if we could do that. All of us do that. We're praying for the sick. One person gets healed, and two people get healed, and four, then eight. It'll, it'll get a life of its own. And my heart is this. Let's do it in such a way 
that Jesus alone gets all the glory. We're not being jerks and God gets the glory. Wouldn't that be a novel approach? That would be so cool. Let's see if we can do that. Huh. So Jesus proclaimed the kingdom and then he demonstrated it. He did this by healing the sick and casting out demons and raising the dead. And he's commissioned you and I to do likewise. And so I've just spent a good amount of time proclaiming the kingdom, giving you some information and instruction and some teaching on the topic of the kingdom of God. Well, let's take some time right now and do some demonstration of the kingdom. So I'm going to pray, and then if you have, and then if you have a word of knowledge, just raise your hand and, and we'll share it. So Lord, we thank you for the kingdom. We ask that, that the kingdom would be for us in every tangible, practical, and realized way, spiritual and future and present. We ask for the kingdom of God to be made manifest here in this room, right here, right now, today. And Lord, I pray that you stir up the gifts of your spirit. Stir up the, the gift of words of knowledge, Lord. Stir up the gift of, of revelation. And Lord, I ask that you would stir up spiritual gifts for healing. Do that now in our midst. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? So does anybody have a word of knowledge? Nadine, why don't you come up and use the microphone? Come on down. Um, the left ear. Is anybody having problems with their ear? I was sensing my left ear, so, but it could be your right ear. Doesn't necessarily. No. Anybody having some ear trouble? One of your ears? Would you have one? Yeah? Yep. Awesome. Why don't you two guys go off to the side there and Adina will pray for you. Bob Jones was a prophetic guy. He used to tell me, he said, if you've seen it, you have authority over it. And so that's why when somebody has the word of knowledge, I'll have them uh, go and pray for the person. Anybody else have a word of knowledge? <laughs> you have something, Angie? Or are you just excited? What do you got? Come share. Now, there are some in our midst, and you, know, you get to know who they are. They become more comfortable Maybe not comfortable, but more confident in the fact that they hear stuff from God uh, once in a while. And so um, I thank God for them because they'll usually break the ice and, and, uh, and go first. And it makes it easier for those of us who are less confident in what we hear from God to have courage uh, to follow after them. So what do you got? Um, just as like a precursor maybe, um, Tom, when you're saying about you want people to pray outside the church. <laughs> I got this problem too, but I really sense that people go, oh, I have to do this stuff. Oh, I got to do it outside. Oh, I'm going to be that crazy person that's, you know, on fire for God and just talking about God and pummeling people. Everybody's had, like, Bible thumper experiences. Yeah. Yeah, Bible thumper. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I just really felt in my spirit to say that um, maybe you guys don't know this, but I volunteer weekly at the hospital um, where God frequently sets me up to pray for people. And I can count maybe two people who have refused. And so people outside are really open, really open. Like you, you don't have to walk far to see like, you know, all these spiritual 
stuff going on, and people are really hungry for God, like really hungry. And so just to encourage you guys to like, it's not as scary as you think. A lot of times it's our own, we're dealing with our own ego and our own pride that it's like God didn't show up the way I wanted him to or the way I expected him to or it's more to do with our own stuff. So we just need to, I know I need to get over myself. (laughs) So, yeah. So with saying that, I got a bunch of stuff again. Um, I really felt like there was maybe someone or people who were wrestling with really big questions. You know that picture that he has up there with the question on the back for questions that it was really big stuff. Maybe even people were questioning their salvation. This might not be for people in the room, but maybe it's for your family. You know that people are dealing with some big stuff. So I think God wants to help with that. And in saying that, um, there's some people wrestling with big things. Um, I don't like to use the word sin, but, you know, there's some stuff that people can't maybe get a handle on. Again, maybe this is for your family, people that are dealing with maybe alcoholism or drugs or, like, some heavy-duty stuff that they have in their life and um, that has kind of power over you. And he's not here to pummel you. He doesn't want to beat you down. He wants to help rescue you from this. So maybe if it's even for your family, um, yeah. I had another sense that there's some people that are, or person, I don't know, again, I don't know who this stuff is for, that you're angry with God and you have some good reason to be angry. There's been some crappy stuff that's happened in your life. But again, he's not here to pummel you. He wants to help you. He's not afraid of your anger, you know. He's, he's, uh, I always get the image of like the two-year-old where they're having the tantrum in the store and the mom or the dad or whatever is like, oh, you know, and they're just hugging them and loving them and whatever. And that's the, the, the image that I frequently get of God is like, not that we're two-year-olds throwing temper tantrums, but sometimes we get angry about stuff and we have a right to be angry. You know, there's some crappy stuff that happens in the world, but God is just there kind of hugging you and squeezing you and the more you kind of fight against it, the more he's like, you know, loving on you. <laughs> So that's just encouragement, I guess. A lot of encouraging stuff this morning. Um, There was some pain stuff. There was a really sore left shoulder. Um, Like, it's a big problem. It's a lot of of pain in that. And the idea of maybe a torn rotator cuff. Um, There was a, a neck problem. This might be the same person. Maybe it's different. It was kind of like on the side here. Um, there's a cough, and the word deep vein thrombosis came to me. I don't. I looked it up. It has something to do with legs. I don't know what that is, but deep vein thrombosis. So. Okay. Just like bullet points, go through what those were again to remind people. So deep vein thrombosis, a cough. Um, a pain in the side of your neck, very sore left shoulder, maybe a torn rotator cuff. Um, And then people who are wrestling with big things, so it might be sin, it might be questions of your salvation, um, maybe emotions, being angry at God for things that have happened in your life. Yeah. Awesome, great job. Angie, why don't you go to the side there? And uh, 
pray for people. If any of those fit you, physical stuff or any of the other stuff that, that she mentioned, if that's for any of you, just line up over on that side there and we'll send Angie over there. Has anybody got heat on their hands? Can you feel like a tingling or a sense of heat on the palm of your hands? Anybody? <laughs> Are you feeling something? Yeah? Then why don't you go help Angie pray? And Nate, would you go help her pray as well? Any other words of knowledge? It doesn't have to be a shopping list like Angie listed. You got one? Sure, come on. We have a visitor today. What's your name again? Les. Les. Thanks for being with us, Les. Yeah, I'm a little nervous because I'm a visitor, but uh, is this thing working? Um, just finished reading uh, Hosea, and uh, it struck me as he was talking about the kingdom, just how much uh, of uh, Hosea's message is about God wanting to be uh, the king. And uh, I just found this verse, um, refound it, I guess, in Hosea 13, um, God says, O Israel, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. I will be your king. Where, where is any other? that he may save you in all your cities. Uh, Israel, of course, was looking for a king for a long time. And, uh, and then um, a verse that interested me was the closing verses of Hosea's message, where he says, um, he's talking about Israel and saying, I have heard and observed him. I am like a green cypress tree. And then he says, God says, your fruit is found in me. Uh, I thought that was an interesting statement that our fruit, that's the whole thing about God wanting to be our king is that he wants us to be fruitful. <laughs> he says, your fruit is found in me. Who is wise, let him understand these things. Who is prudent, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Thank you for sharing. So does anybody else have a word of knowledge, a sense of maybe God spoke it to you that this person or that person needs physical healing for something? Mike? Thank you, Doc. Uh, just backing that up, Les, um, it's not so much the physical, hearing, physical healing, it's more the spiritual healing. And uh, God spoke to me and just you know, to encourage people to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And uh, when Tom was talking about it, you know, it, it's just the, 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 the lack of uh, faith and confidence in Christ. You know, like it says in Psalm 23, he spreads a table in the presence of mine enemies. Well, that's the world, and that's unfortunate, but we're here to make a difference. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Mike. Just to, um, I'd like to focus on words of knowledge. So if you have a word of knowledge that says, hey, I'm feeling this or I'm sensing that, because I'd like the emphasis to be on practicing to pray for the sick. If you have a word of knowledge, uh, let me know and we'll share it with everybody else. Carolyn. Um, one the ways God speaks to me is a physical manifestation in my body. And my feet have been tingling all morning. Now, I don't know if anybody has what problems or things going on with their feet. 
Um, I know I did get a scripture with it. It has to do with anointing for evangelism and bringing good news to people. Maybe someone has a hunger and a gift for that uh, ministry and just needs to be encouraged in it. All I know is that I got tingling in my feet today. So is that is encouraging or anybody wants prayer on that, just come to me. Thanks, Carolyn. She'll be on the side there to pray. Um, does anybody have a problem with your feet? It could be um, it could be one or two things. Maybe you have an actual physical issue with your feet. Carolyn will pray for you. Maybe you feel like, hey, there's a call in my life toward evangelism in some ways. Carolyn was also interpreting what she was feeling from a spiritual perspective. Is that, if that's you, please go and get some prayer. We have another visitor today. What's your name? My name is Patty. Hey, Patty. You got a word of knowledge for us? Yes, I do. I just, I just want to tell everybody that I am, am an example of God's healing. Um, 26 years ago, I was told that I would not be walking, I would not be upright, I would be in a wheelchair, and to just basically change my life. And I knew that if I took those words into my, into my being, that that's exactly what would happen, because God told me that he'll heal me, and that I had to heal myself as well. And having done that, He's given me the gift of also being able to pray awesome. and to see the healings. And, and I walk every day with the gratitude that I'm upright. I have a new knee. I've walked in healing waters. I've seen the healing. And I truly believe that, that each of us has to begin with ourselves. We have to heal ourselves. And then we can spread it on to, to others. Awesome. So I'm very glad to be here this morning because my being here is also a work of God. <laughs> I'm here with my friend, and we haven't seen each other for 35 years, and um, God made that happen. I'm so very grateful to be here. God Wonderful. bless you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Does anybody have a word of knowledge they'd like to share? No one else? Okay, if you need prayer for any of the things that were mentioned, please go over and get some prayer. Can we have the worship team come back up and, and lead us in a final song?